Hello, and welcome to RBC Disruptors, our ongoing conversation about how we can reimagine the Canadian economy in this time of unprecedented change. I'm your host, John Stackhouse. The COVID-19 pandemic is entering its fifth month. And when I think back on all that's changed in the short time, it's hard not to think about our food supply. Before the crisis, how we got our food and plenty of other household essentials was something many of us took for granted. The lockdown changed that. It disrupted supply chains and yeah, sparked some consumer panic. Lineups outside grocery stores, rumors of meat shortages, the rush for toilet paper, those will all be remembered as moments in the crisis. But what if those moments, those disruptions, also lead to innovation? What if they can spark a transformation in the way we buy and deliver food? Groceries is one of the oldest forms of commerce and it's still built around the grocery store, a model that's been with us for generations. But now we have the option to also shop on our phones. It's not just efficient, it can be life-changing for so many people, for seniors, shut-ins, busy parents who can't get to that store. In Canada, two companies have been at the forefront of this revolution, the grocery giant Loblaws and the delivery pioneer Instacart, which is a Silicon Valley darling founded and developed by Canadians. They may seem like unlikely partners in disruption. Loblaws is a classic incumbent. It's a fourth generation family run conglomerate with 2,500 stores, including Shoppers Drug Mart, No Frills and Canadian Superstores. And it employs 200,000 Canadians. Instacart, by contrast, has been around for only eight years, has no stores, and has built on a model of shoppers, 500,000 of them across North America, who do the grocery run for you. There's so much confidence in that model that Instacart was recently valued at 13.7 billion US dollars. To better understand how these two very different companies are coming at the same opportunity, I'm joined by Sarah Davis and Neelam Ganatiran. Sarah is the president of Loblaw, and has responsibility for the company's 13-person management board. Neelam is the president of Instacart. Sarah and Neelam, welcome to RBC Disruptors. Thank you so much, John. Pleasure to be here. Thank you, and good morning. Let me start with a personal question, since we're talking about groceries. How do you both get your groceries? Do you have them delivered, or do you like to shop? I like to shop. So definitely, I am the person who goes into the stores, wanders the aisles, tries to get inspired about what type of meal I could make. Definitely love the store experience. Neelam? I am still a fan of going into the store. I guess that's ironic to say, given my day job, but you know, I still like going in there and exploring. So about half the time, my family is actually does its groceries in store. The other half is a mix of delivery and pickup. Neelam, tell us a bit about that day job at Instacart. Fascinating and very young company. What's the ambition and vision? I had the opportunity to join the company about seven years ago. And as you mentioned, John, we're an eight-year-old company. And we were founded by an ex-Amazon.com fulfillment engineer. And our founder, Apoorva Mehta, started Instacart as a way to connect brick-and-mortar grocers to customers that were increasingly shopping online. He saw during his time at Amazon that while every other merchandise category had come online, for some reason, groceries had lagged. And his thesis is that first and foremost, customers love their local grocery stores. And that connection that's been built over generations or four generations in, in the case of Blah Blah are very important and sticky. 
companies that have tried before to quote unquote upend grocery by end arounding the brick and mortar grocers have failed. So Porva noticed that. The second thing he noticed is that groceries, unlike books or CDs, have an immediacy element that wasn't being fulfilled. While e-commerce grocery was not a new thing when Instacart started, instant e-commerce grocery, making sure that you weren't suffering from the cable guy problem where you're sitting at home waiting four, eight hours for the grocery deliveries to show up, or you're ordering you know, days in advance, just didn't work. So the two original points of Instacart were access to immediacy and access to great local brands. I think it was Apoorva who calls the online grocery business the largest market in plain sight. What does it take to succeed? Well, I think first and foremost, it takes great partnerships. And again, what has been unique about Instacart is our opportunity to work with great folks like Sarah and, and the Loblaw team. From the beginning, we've realized that the only way you can win in an increasingly Amazon.com world is by providing the existing retail footprint with the technology tools and operations to augment what they already do so well. I think the second reason is the speed at which we move, specifically around building new technology and innovating. And that's something I spend a lot of time thinking about how we can continue to sustain as the company gets bigger and bigger, which, as you can imagine, it becomes a harder and harder challenge as the employee count increases. Those are such great points about partnership and speed, because often innovation is seen as binary as a contest between startups and incumbents. But really, so much innovation, as you're showing, comes when there's a partnership. But you've got to move quickly. And Sarah, that's sometimes a challenge for an incumbent. And curious what you're thinking was that brought you here and what you're thinking as you look out through the 2020s. Well, I think for us, we have a single purpose, and it's to help Canadians live life well. And for us, our goal is to provide a convenient, outstanding shopping experience. It's as simple as that. And we want to do it in whatever way our customers choose to shop with us. So whether they would like to come into our stores or whether they'd like to do click and collect and pick up their groceries or whether they'd like them delivered to their homes. And so we did do know that as a mass merchant, we do need to appeal to everything. And certain customers behave in all three different ways. So in terms of how did we actually get into this space, I've always believed things were changing. We always need to change as a retailer to come up with what wherever customer demands are coming. We have the benefit of watching what was happening in other parts of the world. So we entered this partnership with Instacart in 2017, but we had been talking to each other since as early as 2014, spent a couple of years uh, watching Instacart in the US and some of the things that were happening there. We thought it would be a great opportunity. And so did Instacart to come to Canada and to have this exclusive relationship with us. And when I look to the 2020s, what do I see? I see a lot of investment in our infrastructure, both our stores, our bricks and mortar business, as well as technical infrastructure. And in the 2020s, we really do want to see how this all comes to life for our customers, providing them the best service and for us, it's this uniqueness of trying to really, really understand our customers better than anybody else, really making them feel understood, whether they come into our stores and they feel this sense of a certain assortment, whether it's local to their community or a cheese from Quebec or beef from Alberta or blueberries from New Brunswick. We really want to have that sense of belonging and feeling in our stores or whether they shop online or pick up with us. We really do want to have a sense of our customers feeling like they belong with us. 
and this sense of emotional attachment to us. And we feel like we've put all the investments in place in order to really take advantage of this in the 2020s. That's what we're looking forward to. That customer awareness is so critical. And as we hear repeatedly on this podcast, data is central. I suspect it's a bit harder in the grocery business, especially for in-person shopping. Curious, Sarah, how you're thinking about data and other strategies in terms of understanding the consumer so that you can better serve them. So we have the benefit of having this very large loyalty program. It was started with Shoppers Drug Mart, where they had a, an optimum program, which was a great loyalty program with a card program. So a traditional card program in terms of loyalty. We have one loyalty program called PC Optimum. We have over 18 million members now, which when you consider the number of households in Canada, we do believe we're just about in every household in Canada. So we have a lot of data and having that data to really, really understand what customers are looking for, whether it's new products or it's a new way to have their food delivered, um, all different uh, types of things that we can look at for our customers is pretty key. And we'll get a lot of information uh, from the data that we have as well. It's remarkable what this crisis, even in five months, has done to most of our shopping experiences. Maybe we can shift to how the model is evolving. And let me start with the consumer. How are we changing through this crisis in terms of what we're buying, how we're buying it? Sarah, what do you see as the most significant changes? It's changed a little bit as we've made our way through the crisis. So certainly everybody heard about you know the pantry loading at the beginning. And I would say at that time, what we noticed was lots of pantry building, lots of key items, lots of stocking up on groceries, very little on discretionary items. So things like beauty or general merchandise or apparel really didn't see a lot of sales there. And then on the other hand, in the pharmacy business, lots of stocking up on prescriptions as well. So we would have seen that right in the beginning. And then as we've made our way through the pandemic, I would say some things have have stuck, which is lots of home cooking, lots of, you know, you've heard stories about the amount of flour people are buying, the amount of yeast as everybody's making their own bread, some change in discretionary items. So more people buying sort of nesting things. So things to do at home, fitness equipment, crafts. I've never seen so much knitting be sold in our stores. We had our best garden season this year. So people buying vegetables to plant. So all those types of things but that we're also seeing in the sales in our stores. Obviously, lots of people being encouraged to have one family member go to the grocery stores just once per week if you can. Um, so much higher basket size, but at the same time, much fewer trips. So what we're buying clearly is shifted. How we buy it, Neelam, do you sense there is a historic shift here that there's no going back or is this more of an evolution? Our hypothesis is that customers who have tried e-commerce for grocery are now going to want to continue using e-commerce, maybe not for every trip. They now have been exposed to the fact that times when they're busy with their families or with work or with hobbies, a service like Instacart and Loblaw can give them back two hours in their week to reallocate to those other tasks. And that is a little bit of a one-way door in, in our opinion. It's similar to some of these other magic moments like when you first discovered that you can watch your favorite TV show whenever you want versus having to wait for the primetime hour on TV, if we all remember that. I think the other customer behavior that is interesting relating to what Sarah uh, mentioned is basket composition and size, which ties directly to the number of times people would be visiting a physical store. 
From an Instacart perspective, and I'm talking system-wide, not just with Loblaw now, what we've historically observed is that our service was very much thought of for customers with the perimeter of the grocery store. So, you know, we were overdeveloped in fresh produce, meat, seafood, deli, and dairy. And we were dramatically underdeveloped in kind of the center of the grocery store. So health and beauty, traditional packaged goods, diapers, that sort of thing. And our hypothesis was that the customer was going on services like Amazon to buy those things or buying them when she was in the store. And I say she because about 84% of our customers are female. 84% of Instacart's customers are female. That's correct. Yes. Sarah, how does that compare to your demographic? We definitely skew higher female. It's probably more like 70, not as high as 84 though. Yeah, Nalem, that's a really high number. Why would it be that high? Our place we uniquely win is with moms. A large portion of that 84, I think 60 something percent, I can't remember if it's 65 or 67 percent of the 84 are moms. And that has historically been our, the customer that for whom a service like ours has been most resonant. But, you know, related to basket composition, mom's buying the whole basket now on Instacart. And that has stuck even post the stock up frenzy. And that has been something that, frankly, we didn't expect. Our basket sizes jumped somewhere between 15 to 30 percent, depending on on geography, during the height of the crisis. And we have retained most of those gains. And then when we actually dig into what's happening, customers are just buying more of the center aisle, which they hadn't historically now on our service. So that has been candidly a happy outcome for us because we believe that's, you know, it's obviously better for our shoppers because when they show up at a store, they're able to buy more, which means they can earn more. We think it's better for our retailers because it keeps more dollars in a specific chain. So it keeps more dollars going to Lobla. And it's frankly better for us because uh, we're selling more to any particular customer. The pandemic has shown us what's possible. The next stage of innovation will be all about improving and personalizing the virtual and online shopping experience. Everyday activities, how we plan our meals, select our food, and get it to our kitchens are being rethought. And the best disruptors will make each step more convenient and more engaging. And it's all tied to that device in our hands. Sarah, what do you think the next normal might look like in the grocery business? Well, I mean, I think I totally agree with Neilam that this is not going to be a one and done thing. I do think some of these things are going to stay with us. I do think that customers who tried online, especially seniors. So for us, we did see an uptick in the number of seniors who may have had immune disorders or just, you know, elderly um, that felt like they really did need to and their children would have helped them set up their orders to have them delivered to their home or for them to go and pick them up. So I think um, that's going to be quite sticky too. So I do think that we're going to see a permanent increase in the number of online orders. And then I think some of the the home cooking might stick a little longer than maybe originally we thought as people spend more time with their families and do cook and have discovered the, you know, the benefits of cooking at home. I think there'll probably be more um, meal kits. We have got into the meal kit business. We launched PC Chef, but I definitely think digital shopping staying. I think focusing at home, eating at home. I think it's going to be a little while before we get to the same capacity in restaurants, but it's going to be interesting to see. I've heard you describe the value of the store, and here's why stores will continue to be with us for a very long time as being almost curatorial experiences. You go there, not just for the efficiency of picking up products, but thinking about the meal. 
Sarah, how are you thinking about the evolution, both of the store in person, but also the store in our hand, in our phone, as the trusted advisor, as some might call it, as the curator of the food experience in solving those mealtime questions? For us, I do think of having a seamless experience between our online and in-store experience and being the ultimate curator. So trying to make the lives and solving meals easier for Canadians, so not giving them you know, thousands and thousands of recipes to sort through, but having suggestions of things. And if we know that you, John, always eat chicken and broccoli on Tuesdays, then because of your shopping habits or because what you order or what you get from Instacart on those days, we could actually offer up. Here's a great recipe that includes chicken. It also includes broccoli. So very much making it more seamless. So instead of the endless options, trying to curate the experience related to the customer. So if we know that somebody doesn't ever buy any meat, or if you choose to put on your loyalty profile that you're a vegetarian or you're trying to avoid salt or you're trying to avoid you know, additional sugar, then we can actually curate meals and products specifically for you and making the lives a little easier. So our ultimate goal is to help Canadians live life well, and that's how we think we can do it. And I suspect one of your challenges is uh, end-to-end data, needing to know what I do with that chicken. Do I fry it or barbecue it or bake it, which is not going to be evident in the store. It might not be evident if I'm using an Instacart app. How do you see that data journey evolving so that you understand me as a food consumer? Well, I mean, I think it's like any information where people see it's similar to Netflix. If you always watch, you know, cartoons, then I'll understand what to offer you. For us, it's the same thing. If you always buy certain things, I'll know what you're more likely to buy. So on our loyalty app, we're trying to add more content and depending on what it is that you read and where you go. So if you love looking at recipes and you love the ones that are a little video of how you make something and you always choose the one that takes less than five minutes, then we know the types of things that you do and that will be what we offer you. So I think it's just making sure that we have a personal offer for all Canadians that just makes their life a little easier. And so data is absolutely a very key part of that. So much of this, and really take it for granted, is the supply chain of getting food from uh, farm to fork, as the expression goes. And there's a whole system, chains of chains, that connect with the grocery store. But as different actors try to disrupt different supply chains, and as consumers want their food delivered to them or provided to them in different ways, supply chains have to evolve. How do you see the food supply chain evolving over the coming years as we move more to this, to a delivery model, maybe with a blend of click and collect and also that in-store experience that we want? Well, I do think that we've really experienced it very much as we went through the pandemic and the importance of the farmers and all of our vendor partners um, in keeping everything going. So it really was an end-to-end working with the ag minister to make sure that you know foreign workers were able to plant the seeds in order to make sure that the food would be available. So there, it's very, very integrated. And it is very data-driven as well. So all of our replenishment would be done based on data of what sells, then of course, what needs to be manufactured, which then obviously needs to be grown. And that's why some of the issues were around toilet paper, where if there was only a certain number of trees that were cut down, 
there is a time lag in order to develop all that paper again. So it is very, very integrated and very fine tuned. And something like a pandemic can really show you what can go wrong in the sense of, you know, when it's so finely tuned based on the data. I think the other thing that might come up of the pandemic is a little bit of this Canadiana feeling of wanting to eat products. And I think we're going to see that. I think that's going to stay. Neil, how is Instacart thinking about the great food supply chain? Because in some ways, I wonder, do you really need stores? The future of online grocery and whether a direct model makes more sense. We've been pretty unequivocal about this, and, and it really is the kind of the, the founding principle of the company. We believe that you need to have stores located right next to the customers because we think the service level expectation for customers is only going to go up in terms of immediacy, not go down. So Instacart is advantaged by having, you know, over 32,000 doors. So that again, necessitates partnerships and, and going direct just doesn't work there. And then perhaps most importantly, we believe that multi-decade, multi-generation brands that have developed have gained a lot of trust, especially related to the food that Canadians and North Americans feed their families. And uh, our unique proposition has been not to take a web van or a Cosmo.com approach, but instead to partner, not try to, quote unquote, disrupt that part of the supply chain. We want to be a technology and service provider for brick and mortar grocery. We think that is going to give us all kinds of advantages relative to folks who are attempting to go direct like Amazon and others. It's interesting to hear you explain your thinking and how it brings together the human advantage and the tech advantage. We'd love to get your thoughts on the future of work. I mean, Sarah, you mentioned you employ 200,000 Canadians. How are you thinking about what technology will enable for those workers, but also what it will demand? The future of work will change. So I think the type of work that people in our stores will do will be different, but it's changed before as well. So I just think it's just part of life as the world evolves. A simple example would just be with a self-checkout. We've been looking at electronic shelf labels that automatically can have the price file changed over time. And so that type of work will go away, but there'll be new work that comes. So when you think about some of the jobs in our stores, well, we wouldn't have had pickers, for example, before we had click and collect. But now we have a lot of people in our stores. And obviously, Instacart has a lot of people in our stores who are picking items for customers. Well, that's all just new work. And so I believe that we're always going to have lots of employees doing lots of good work in our stores. Our job is to make sure that we understand the trends and that we train people appropriately so that they understand where the world is moving so that they don't find themselves caught without a skill. What kind of skills are growing in demand across your chains? Well, definitely data and analytics, any type of technology, I would say, the, you know, the cloud technology, all of those types of work. We were ranked like one of the top 10 tech companies in Toronto. You know, when you think of grocery and legacy grocery companies, you don't necessarily think of tech. And yet we have a pretty big tech group now. Neelam, as Sarah mentioned, there's this whole new category of jobs, a shopper that really didn't exist just a few years ago. Where do you see that kind of work going in the next few years? What happened very quickly is lots of people lost their jobs. And one of the things I was proudest of is that a service like Instacart existed to offer folks who had been furloughed or displaced an opportunity to continue to earn and, and earn well on their own terms so that they could you know, provide for their families. 
And as I think about what the implications of that are for future of work, I think a lot of people are discovering the independence that can come from, you know, setting their own schedule and getting rewarded for providing exceptional service to customers. And that has always been our thesis about the types of quote unquote gigs we provide to personal shoppers. But I'm also really glad to see that today our satisfaction rates with our personal shoppers are at the highest level they've ever been. Our shopper NPS is the highest it's been uh, in the company's history. So I'm very proud of that. When you look at the the rest of the world, uh, whether it's the U.S. or overseas, what's going on in grocery, grocery delivery, what do you think that will mean for the sector here in Canada? What should we anticipate? You know, I think as we both mentioned, I think we're going, you know, the grocery delivery is going to be is here to stay. People, uh, customers like it and they like the convenience of it. I think we should expect new technologies that we believe being close to the consumer is an advantage. And I think expectations have been set around the world of what people expect in terms of delivery. So we should continue to see that. It's up to all of us to figure out how do we make it more efficient and cost effective uh, to be able to compete. But I do think that some of the things like the local assortment and the closeness to where things have been bought, I think those are here to stay as well. And so we need to make sure that we use them to our advantage, both the advantage of the retailer and Instacart. We can both win as a result of that. Neil, Instacart is uh, big in the U.S. as well. What are you seeing there that we might anticipate down the road here in Canada? I think first and foremost, we as an industry need to continue to innovate with technology, operational efficiencies, using data to take out waste, all in service of bringing the costs down to the end consumer. I think the second theme that it's even more pronounced in the U.S. is the penetration and rate of adoption is higher of e-commerce, but the, the rate of growth in Canada has been higher. And I think that isn't just delivery. I think it's pickup and delivery. And I think Loblaw has had this right the whole time. You have to give the customer both options. And I think you will see retailers that have been on the sidelines related to either pickup or delivery. They cannot afford be on the sidelines anymore. And then the third theme is more food dollars, more share of stomach staying in the grocery store. And as a result, I think the onus on great grocers will become even higher than before around making sure there is the novelty, the inspiration, the the cachet that customers used to get from going out to restaurants, bring the fun back into the grocery store, even when a customer is interacting online, is a big challenge, I think, for us as an industry. And uh, But it's one I think together with our partners will be able to solve. When I think back to some of the darkest days of the crisis and a bit of the panic over food and food supplies, it's remarkable to think about your companies and many others did to keep food moving. So thank you to you and your teams for doing that. And thanks for being part of RBC Disruptors. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. Thank you, Sarah. After speaking with Sarah and Neelam, I think it's clear the grocery industry is an engine of innovation and we're all part of it. From our conversation, there were five points that stood out to me. Number one, our relationship to the home is changing. Now that remote work has become a norm, we're developing new habits. Rather than going out to dinner with friends, we're spending the night in, we're gardening, we're baking bread. Home means more to us now than ever, and it's changing our spending habits. Number two, the future of grocery will be a blend. It will be digital and in-store. Since COVID hit, buying groceries through online delivery and click-to-collect methods has skyrocketed. This is a huge opportunity. 
but consumers continue to want choice. So grocers need to position themselves to deliver digital experiences and connect it with a rapidly changing store model. Number three, proximity matters. Canadians want to feel connected to their food and to their local grocer. It's part of being a community. They want to trust where their food is coming from and know that they have the option to support vendors from within their province. Number four, understanding the consumer has never been more important. As grocery stores continue to go digital, Consumer data needs to be used to provide a seamless end-to-end -end experience that not only makes it easier for customers to interact with brands, but enhances their relationship with the store. To put it simply, as Sarah said, business models have to be about making your customer's life easier. And number five, the grocery experience should be fun. As behaviors shift, think of ways to keep your customers excited. After all, food is personal and shopping for food should be an enjoyable experience. The grocery store isn't going away. It's a cornerstone of our communities, and shopping is a ritual that we can share with our family and friends. As we see the continued adoption of apps like Instacart, it's clear that the future of grocery will be a blend between both digital and in-person. At the end of the day, it all comes down to choice. What does the consumer want? How do they want to interact with brands? In the digital age, the consumer has never been more powerful whether they're at home or wandering the aisles. Thank you for listening to RBC Disruptors, our ongoing conversation about innovation and how we can reimagine the Canadian economy in this time of unprecedented change. If you liked this episode, leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and chat with us on Twitter using the hashtag RBC Disruptors. We'd love to hear your ideas and where you'd like to take the conversation in future episodes. Until next time, I'm John Stackhouse, and this is RBC Disruptors.